Hey, if you've got a Bible, turn to Luke chapter 2. We're going to be in several different places today, but uh, we're kind of continuing in a... uh, in a series we started last week, uh, a Christmas series, and you know I've kind of, uh, I've kind of, I kind of wanted you to see something. So I'm going to cover a, quite a bit of ground, but it won't take as long because some of the things I'm going to share with you today, we're only going to look at little pieces of it, right? And so you'll see what I'm talking about in in in, in just a minute. But Luke chapter two is where we'll begin. Uh, today's title is just present. Okay, last week's title was past. And I was, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a real creative guy. Uh, I came up with those titles all by myself. But uh, next week will be future in case you want to go ahead and write it down. But no, I, I really just wanted, I've always, at Christmas time, uh, I've always wanted uh, things to be very simple and straightforward. But there's something I want to see, I want you to see within this. Uh, and we'll talk a little bit last week, but at this time of the year, people so many times celebrate what they don't even realize they celebrate. But the reason, I mean, you drive up and down, you know, uh, up and down streets and, and, and major streets and in residential, and you see all these lights and, and literally, um, it all has to do with, with who Jesus is. You know, he's the light of the world. And, uh, and so therefore we do all of this, uh, to, to, to portray something. But, but the real thought is, is that what does that mean? What does it mean that Jesus is the light of the world? And so it, it has to do with this incredible, if you will, this incredible look that is throughout the scripture. And I'm going to share with you several looks of it. This, this, this past look, this present and future. You know, Charles Dickens wrote a, wrote a, a novel, a, a Christmas Carol, um, and I was amazed that there, there are a lot of you have never even read it or even heard of it. <clears throat> that really amazes me. You do realize it is the best-selling novel of all time, all right? But even further than that, I mean, you know, because I, 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 there's a lot of best-selling novels I hadn't read, but it's been in about, you know, 20 remake of movies or theater presentations, whatever. But you've got this cool picture. Charles Dickens was a writer of yesteryear in the mid-1800s. And he, if you, don't, if, you don't, if you don't take the time to look, you miss what he's talking about. Because he picks up on this past, present, future in his little Christmas story called A Christmas Carol with Ebenezer Scrooge and all that. And I shared with you a little clip last week, and I'll share with you another one uh, to, today. But the, the, but the past, that is, it, it, it kind of gave you this picture of who he was, Ebenezer Scrooge was, Right? And then today we're going to look at it as a picture of what are the circumstances around that, that changed him, and then the, the, and then the life, and, the, and then the changed life that he lived. That'll be next week. And, uh, but again, that, that type thought is all through, all through the scriptures. We always talk about those things. You know, I share with every, to every Christmas time of the year is the the incredible gift that God gave us when he gave us his son affects our past, present, and future. Forgiveness for the past, purpose for the present, and security for the future. And when you think about those things, forgiveness, purpose, I dare you. I mean, the life in which we live, one of the greatest impacts on our life, personally, when I became a believer, was all of a sudden things began to have a meaning or a reason and something that drove me to, 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 to be who he's called me to be. It, it is an incredible thing. And I, and I dare you to try to find real purpose 
you know, without who God is in your life. And then future, if you have an answer to death, obviously you don't have any problems. So you have this past, present, future look, right? And you're going to see it again today uh, in, this, in this little passage. Number one, if you want to follow along with us, it's a little bit of a review of last week. This, this number one is that people walking in darkness, okay? That comes from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. And just so you know, Isaiah was written 700 to 740 years uh, before Christ was ever born. So you're talking a long time. But this is how God did what he did. He, he revealed these things and, and ensured these writings would, 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 uh, would make it to, so that you would understand that when Christ did come, is that he would come as a light, okay, in a dark world. And, and that metaphor, that symbolism. But the people walking in darkness, the picture obviously is what happens when people walk in darkness. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 2 says, the people who walked in darkness. You see the past tense, have seen Present tense, a great light. So you have then this picture that of, of what it means to walk in darkness. We talked about it last week, you know, and I shared with you a little clip, clip of Ebenezer Scrooge, you know, and, and he was basically this miser, uh, greedy, you know, self-absorbed, you know, a person. And everybody would say about him, oh, no, you, know, you know, guys like him can't change. And, uh, and you'll see that past, right? And so, so number one then was people walking in darkness. Number two is have seen a great light. Same concept, same thought, Isaiah chapter nine, verse two. The people walked in darkness and it says here, have seen a great light. So what light is to darkness? Therefore, people who live in darkness, the thing that they need the most is light, right? And so that has become, that has become part of the holiday. Of, of what we look at when we celebrate what was, you know, that, that which was sent into the world to be light in darkness, that is to shine light. Because what happens in darkness? Uh, darkness is it, it's mis, it's, it's mysterious. There are things that are hidden in darkness. Therefore, what's in the darkness, the only reason there's usually great fear when there's darkness, there's also, there's also you know, your imagination kind of, you just fill in the blanks of what you think you know, uh, that it is because you can't see it. But it's incredible how when you, turn the, when you turn the lights on, all mystery and all speculation goes away and you're able to see it, right? And therefore, when light is introduced to any situation, it always changes the situation. And when people say things like when new evidence came to light, that means that it was, that means that it was hidden, and therefore, when light was shined upon it, you were able to see it, and it changed everything. It's the same thing, past, present, future, past, present, future. And again, it makes sense when you begin to see it. So I want you to see, therefore, if the people walking in darkness, that would be all of us, have seen a great light, what is that light, right? Well, Jesus is the light of the world. Yeah, but what does that mean? You know, so many times the Bible has so many different metaphors. And I use, no, I use that word metaphor a lot, but it's true. There's so much symbolism that if you ever really, really think about it, it's, it's an amazing thing to think about. What does it mean to go from darkness to light? What does it mean to go from death to life, right? 
What does it mean to be born again? That's another metaphor that's used. It's a, it's a new thing. Everyone's in Christ is a new creation. What do those things mean? Well, we're going to stick mainly with the whole thought of just light. Okay? And I want to share with you simply, simply what this time of the year represents. And what does it mean that Jesus is the light of the world? And it's very easy to share. It's found in Luke chapter 2. Now, there's a whole lot I'm going to be skipping when I cover a lot of these verses because I don't have a whole lot to share with you. I mean, as far as and around, I want to just zero in on this whole thought of what does it mean? Therefore, you'll leave today knowing exactly what it means that Jesus is the light of the world. It's found in Luke chapter 2. And uh, if you've been around Christmas often, uh, you know Luke chapter 2. We drag it out every year. Uh, I will read it, obviously, to the children, or Charlie Brown, or somebody will read it to the children on Christmas Eve, right? It just is what it is. But I just, I just want to focus on one, one thing. It says, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world be registered. And this was the first registration when Quirinius was the governor of Syria. And all went up to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went to Galilee, uh, and uh, from Galilee to the town of, uh, from the town of Nazareth uh, to Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he is with the house and the lineage of David, to be registered there with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. Okay, and uh, and there and I, and so while they were there, the time for her to give birth came, and she gave birth to her firstborn a child, a son, and she wrapped him in swaddling cloths and she laid him in a manger because there was no, um, and there was no place for them in the inn. And then it goes on to talk about shepherds and, and, and this incredible thought they had with angels, you know, with bright lights. And again, unto you is born in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord and all of the rest. Okay, now, what does that mean? Okay. Babies are born in a lot of different types of places, you know? In fact, used to, it'd be all kinds of different kinds of things. They're born in cabs, right? Well, I mean, Jesus was born in a barn. That, I mean, I mean, it's a little atypical, but so what, right? Well, again, baby born in a barn. Well, remember, lots of babies have been born, and maybe even a handful have been born in a barn. But it's who he was that makes him the light of the world. For unto you is born in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So this one who was born was part of God's plan. And that plan had to do with, with a light being introduced to darkness. That is to give people the ability to understand which was always been there but has been hidden because of our darkness. So it's kind of like information that's always been there but it came to light. That is when you turn the light on it, you're like, oh. You see, that's what Christ came to do. He came to turn the light on. And for those who want to see, you'll be able to see, right? So, so then this all happened in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. And this was a picture, again, 700 years before Christ was born, of what he who would be. 
In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, that was the verse we just read that says the people walked in darkness have seen a great light. And then just a few verses later, later he tells us about this light, which is, which is you, if, you come to ha- if you come to Handel's Messiah during the Hallelujah Chorus, right, it, you'll, you'll hear this wonderful counselor, mighty God, and everlasting Father, all of those things, because it describes who this child is and why he is the light. Let's take a look at it. It says, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government's going to be on his shoulder. That is that which rules. And his name's going to be called Wonderful Counselor. What's a Wonderful Counselor? It's the one who, who is able to give advice. A Wonderful Counselor is one who's able to give good advice. That is, the picture here really is someone who gives God's word. That is, gives truth. One who gives truth. Mighty God. Now, that's it. we talked a little bit about this last week. We're going to go more in depth today. Now, there are three things that God is, is attributes that God is known for. I mean, there are others, but this is, this is what's talked about often. Number one is that he is all-powerful. And that's where you get mighty God. The translation misses a little bit there because that is a very important name to our Jewish friends in Almighty God or God Almighty. And what that means is is all-powerful. It's an attribute of who God is, is that he is all-powerful, right? And then the, and then the other thing about who God is is that he is, he is all-knowing, omniscient, right? Omniscient, omnipresent, those type things. Omnipotent, potent power, omni, obviously. So all-powerful. So you have this, you have then this picture then Look at this again. Wonderful counselor, obviously God's word, giving, giving word, God's word. Mighty God is all powerful. Everlasting father is eternal, right? There's no beginning. There's no end of everlasting father. And then prince of peace has to do not with the lack of wars, like the, you know, every good gracious, every, every store you walk in to do, they'll have, today, they'll have some sort of peace, peace on earth and all this up there. But they've totally missed what this picture means. This Prince of Peace means he's not come to bring peace in the world so much, but is bring peace between us and who God is because he's the light of the world. You'll see that in just a minute. But here's been the consternation of all of this. As I shared a little bit last week, the consternation of, of Jewish, you know, prophets, priests, rabbis, who have read these verses long before Christ ever came. And you go back to the first part of verse 6, and it says, a child is born to us, a son is given to us, and his name will be called Mighty God. I question, how can an almighty God, that is all-powerful God, become one of the weakest, most vulnerable creations on the planet? Because there's nothing more vulnerable than a newborn infant. Right? So the Almighty God, a child's going to be born to us, and we're going to call him the Almighty God. That is the all-powerful. And then the other one's eternal Father. Right? Everlasting. So last I checked, when you're born, that's the beginning. That's the starting point. But if you're eternal, how can you have a starting point? You see the if you will, the riddle almost in this passage. 
But here's the peace. Here's the thought. Almighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, is that God himself was going to step into, into time. The eternal one was become, going to become part of time. The all-powerful one was going to become one of his own creation. That became this picture. This became who Christ is. This, this is an extraordinary thing to think on. But look, look at the rest of the passage in verse 7. It says, of the increase of his, uh, of his government and of peace, there's not going to be an end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and uphold it with justice uh, and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. And look at this. It says, the, the zeal of the Lord, that is the earnestness, that is his driven desire because of our great need, it says, we'll do this. We'll do this is not a great translation. We'll perform this. Uh, accomplish is probably the better word. Accomplish this. For God's going to do something that is incredible. All right, now, now you're understanding that when at Easter time, we can understand what makes his death on the cross such a big deal if you understand who he is. God in the flesh who was able, right, to sacrifice himself to make a difference in our past, present, and future. Forgiveness for the past, purpose for the present, and, a, and an answer for death, a secure future. Now it's like, oh, so that's who he is. Now, if you don't believe that, then that's fine. But at least you understand who he is. And I'm here to tell you, there is no greater, no greater news than that. If truly Christ is who he says he is, and he, he definitely did what he said he came to do. You put those two together and you've got the light shining to a dark people walking in darkness, right? That has an answer to its past, present, and future, that it brings to light who you are, right? But a lot of times people can't see it because, because the darkness blinds them. So how does that work? Well, we're just gonna keep, we're gonna keep walking through this and talking through this, but it is remarkable when you think about it. Now, what I would like to do is jump to number three. This is where we're gonna spend the, the majority of our time because today we're only gonna, we're gonna focus on the present part. And I'm calling this just circumstances that God uses. See, people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Well, how does that happen? You know, what does that look like? You know, I have found that, that as the number of believers in this room uh, and those who are watching on the internet, is that everyone has a unique circumstance that God uses to expose his light to you. Some people call it a testimony. You call it whatever you want to call it. But it's a unique set of circumstances that God works in your life to bring you to himself. I have found that everybody who wants, truly wants to know who God is, right? You'll find him if you want to know. That's why the promise, the promise in the scriptures is that all those who seek him will find him. Promise. So the question is not do you know, the question is do you want to know? That's the real question, okay? 
So, so these circumstances that surround, right? And what happens? You know, I want to I I give you several different illustrations, obviously a video here in a second, of, of the unique situations that God does as he's at work in your life. Because there's no way you're going, there's no way you're going to be able to find it on your own, right? Because what can truly anyone know who's in darkness other than just speculating what might be out there or what might be the truth, right? Let's take a look at Matthew chapter two. And this is one of the first ones at the time of the, <coughs> excuse me, at the time of the, of the, of the Christmas time, at least the Christmas story. Let's go to this in Matthew chapter two and verse one. And it says this. It says that now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Wise men, they were the magi. Uh, they were a mysterious bunch, very learned, uh, considered by many to be the smartest and, and most well-educated people of their time. Now, remember that the Magi were Persian um, and originally Persian. In fact, you run into them a little bit at the time of Daniel. The key to this story, the reason there's great mystery is how in the world did the Magi find out? and we are not told, right? I've seen lots of guesses, but I'm not really concerned about how they found out. All I know is, is that they were seekers and that there's some sort of a light in their life that they wanted to know. And anybody who wants to know, God will make sure you find out. Question is, do you wanna know? That's been my experience. So many people I bump into they just don't want to know. Why? Because they don't want any God telling them what the, the way they're supposed to live or what they're supposed to do. That really is where it comes down to it. I want to do what I want to do, and I'm afraid that if I even admit that God exists, that I might somehow have to fall underneath his authority. So I'd rather just believe he doesn't exist. That's most people I don't come into contact with. But here's this picture. Do you really want to know? Do you really want to know? Well, I don't know how these magi find out. But they were probably a two to three month journey from where they were living to Bethlehem, or at least to Jerusalem where they first came. And something curious happened. So they came into town. First thing they said is, where is he? Where is he? Where is he? And the people are looking and saying, what are you talking about? Because they would have been a big deal when their entourage showed up. Because there weren't just three magi, okay? All the traditional stuff about the magi is most always, always, always false. Now, there were three gifts, but there were, they, they traveled in big think groups, right? And since they were extremely wealthy, they probably came up with a whole lot of soldiers because they had expensive presents with them. So when they pulled up, all Jerusalem was a buzz. And when they stepped off the bus... They stepped off the bus or the chariot or whatever they're in. They said, where is he? Where is he? We've been traveling for a couple of months to get here to see this. And they didn't even know what they were talking about. Right? Where is he who has been joined, born king of the Jews? We've seen a star. Uh-huh. So those who studied stars, the Magi, right? Astronomy. That was a big deal with the Magi. God gave them a star, a light, 
just a small one. And it says, we've seen a star, and we've come all this way to worship him. How did they know? I don't know. But all they knew is they knew what it meant, and they were willing to do whatever it took to find it. Are you hearing me? Therefore, the light that God puts in your life, as small as it may be, do you respond to it or do you turn away from it? Most aren't willing to leave their house, much less travel two months, right? Interesting, huh? For we've seen a star and we've come to worship. And when Herod obviously heard that, he was, he was not happy with the situation. And, uh, and all Jerusalem with him, okay? They were all troubled, all right? Continue, look at verse three. Now look at verse four. Can you move along with me? All right, there it is. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, uh, he inquired of them where Christ was to be born. So they knew because the prophets in the Old Testament said where he would be born. It's in Micah chapter five, verse two. And they told, they told him, hey, listen, it's in Bethlehem, Judea, for so it's written by the prophet, and this is the quote and from Micah chapter 5, verse 2. Uh, but you, O Bethlehem, land, land of Judah, by no means least among the rulers of Judah, uh, for, from, for from you there's going to come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people, Israel. All right? So I find it incredible. Listen to this. These guys had traveled months, and the people they bumped in, are you ready for this? Listen. Bethlehem was only two to three miles from Jerusalem. They'd traveled months, and these people that they bumped into didn't even bother to go two or three miles. But that tells me the world in which we live. Sometimes people get so much light, so much truth, and it means nothing to them. Or, oh, I've heard all that before. Or whatever, whatever, whatever. And yet sometimes those who are hungriest will travel the greatest distances. Interesting, huh? Sometimes those who have nothing, that God gives them enough light. I don't know. To me, it is a remarkable thing to look at. That's what happened. So Herod kind of ascertained what time the star, and what did he do? He sent them to Bethlehem, say, hey, you go find him, and when you come back, tell me where he is, and then I'll come and worship him too, which was a lie. But they didn't even go, okay? They didn't even go. Look at verse 9. All right. It says this, and after listening to the king, they went on their way. And listen to this. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. Okay. They followed the light. The light that they were getting given was what they followed. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. Okay. You are what you seek. And they went into the house and they saw the child and saw Mary, his mother, with him. And they fell down and they worshiped. And then they opened up their treasures and gave him the best of who they were. And then they, they were worn in a dream, they went a different direction. But here's the picture. What chance would these magi have had of, had of finding Christ if it hadn't been for the star? Zero. I have become to believe that God puts stars in everybody's lives, symbolically. Those things that lead you to him that you take if you want to know, right? Light in darkness, 
Sometimes just a twinkle in the sky. But the question is, do you want to know? Therefore, the amount of light you've been given, the scriptures teach that we're accountable for the light we've been given. But that light comes into, and anytime somebody longs to know or longs to seek after him, God will bring light into their life. For some reason, these magi, two to three months travel away, wanted to know. And God put something in their life that led them straight to it because they wanted to know. Because all those who seek, the scripture says, will find. Interesting. And God uses different circumstances in everybody's life. Every believer in this room, if you truly are a believer, every believer in this room has had something in his life that God has used to lead you to him. And it's uniquely for you. It's an amazing thing. For these magi, it was a star. For me, God, I, I was... I grew up in, in, in Tennessee. I grew up in a religious community. In fact, it was so different at that time. Everybody went to church. Everybody. In fact, I, I, was, I was there all the time. You know, the old joke. You know, I had a drug problem growing up. I was drugged to church on Sunday morning, and I was drugged to church on Sunday night, and I was drugged on Wednesday. Every time it was, I was there, guys, I could take a Jesus pop quiz because I knew it all, but it was in my brain. It was just knowledge. You see, the scripture doesn't teach that that's how someone becomes a believer. The scriptures teach that an experience happens to you. I don't know how, I don't know, you know the way to how to explain it to you. That's where all these things come from. Light from darkness, a person who's gone from death to life, when Jesus made the reference to being born again, that is something, a new creation is there that wasn't there before. It is what I call the Christian experience. It's not just being religious. Why? Because I was religious. And I knew all the answers. But I wasn't, I wasn't a believer. I said I believed it. Because culturally where I was from in Tennessee, Everybody was a Christian. If you weren't Jewish, you were a Christian. That just is the way it was. But I, anyway, I remember in high school, um, I, there was this girl in high school, and we got to be friends, and she used to tell me about who Christ is. And she used to, really, she would tell me about, it was really weird because she talked to me about as if she knew him. That was really weird to me. Because to me, all I'd ever taught was, is that, that there was this God that we tried to do all these things and tried not to do all these things, and that made him happy, and that I never got it. And yet she used to talk to me about it. And so we left high school, and many years later, you know, I didn't even live in the same town as her. But I found it ironic. Um, I came back in town, and somebody invited me to a Christmas musical, like the one tonight at 4 o'clock and at 7 o'clock. And guys, I don't even particularly, I'm not a big music guy. I don't even know how it works, most of it, you know. Um, I'm going to have to look at my family and say, was that good? And, and yet, wasn't, isn't it ironic, that'd be the very thing that God used in my life. But So anyway, I went to this 
Christmas musical. Why? Because why? Why at this time of the year are people more open than any other time of the year? Perhaps it has to do with the, the little light, if you will, of Christmas that talks about giving, generosity, hope. I don't know. But somebody asked me to go, and at a weak moment, I said yes. And so I show up at this Christmas musical, and there was the girl from high school, my star. I had no idea. And so, obviously, it was good to see her. I hadn't seen her in years. I went up afterwards, and she launched into, you know, the whole Jesus thing again. And she asked me to go to church with her. I said, you know, sure. And I showed up, and I began to hear her. God's truth and, and became a believer a few months later. But think about it in your life personally. If you are a believer today, I'm not asking if you're religious. I'm asking if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. Think back on those things that God used in your life to draw you to him, or at least to use to open your eyes and let you see the truth. And it comes in all shapes and sizes. I had a good friend of mine who somebody gave him a book and he said that book, The Saving Life of Christ, Ian Thomas. He said, he said I threw that book in my dorm room and, and kind of laughed. But then a few months later, things took some downturn. I pulled that book out, and then it became his star. That is that which God used in his life to open his eyes and let him see. It's an incredible thing. God uses all kinds of things. He could be using them now in your life. You never know what he's going to do or how he's going to do it. Well, in the story of Christmas Carol, now you see Charles Dickens picks up on this, okay? He picks up on this particular thought of a life-changing experience and those situations that happened in a person's life to get them there. Now, yes, they're fictional, fictitious situations, Ghost, there's no ghosts of Christmas past or present, but he uses a, a fictitious, fictitious story to prove a point, this whole idea of past, present, future, right? It's, it's, he's a master storyteller, and it's just such an enduring story. Well, last week, we, we really put this character together, this greedy old miser, self-centered, hates everybody only cares about himself, only really cares about money, right? And then I want you to see the circumstances of which his eyes were open and he was allowed to see himself. There's no way I can share it all with you um, because these three different ghosts share different things with him. But notice in the first two, if you, if, you, if you read it carefully or if you see it carefully, the ghost of Christmas past all had all about you know, the hat and light and Scrooge kept trying to put out the light, right? Because it made him uncomfortable. Interesting. It's, it's amazing. And then even the present, remember the big jolly guy with the torch, right? I mean, it's an incredible thing when you begin to see the symbolism that Dickens put in there for those who wanted to, who could really see it. But then the last one really revealed the most to him. And that's part of this. I've got a little clip I want you to see. And and again, it's just about this circumstances. In this particular case, it's just a, it's, it's an untrue, fictitious story. But the, but the behind it is what I want you to see. But take a look at this. Take a look at this, uh, this movie clip. 
and, uh, and perhaps maybe for the first time see what this writer was getting across. All right, let's take a look at this now. I thought we had agreed that you would transport me home. Inspector, something informs me that the moment of our parting is at hand. I know it, but I know not how. Tell me, what man was that whom we saw lying dead? Before I draw near to that stone, answer me this. Are the things you have shown me the shadows of the things that will be? Are they the shadows of the things that may be only? will foreshadow certain ends. I, I accept it. But if those courses be departed from, the ends must change. Tell me that is so by what you show me. the man I was. I will not be the man I must have been but for this visitation. Why show me this if I am past all hope? Good spirit, your nature intercedes for me and pities me. Say that I may change these things by an altered life. I will honor Christmas in my heart and try to keep it all the year. I will live in the past, present, and the future. The spirits of all three shall strive within me. I will not shut out the lessons that they teach. Tell me. <laughs> Tell me that I may sponge away the writing on this stone. Oh, swear me. Swear me. I will keep my promise. I will live in the past, present, and the future. The spirits of all three will strive within me. Oh, heaven and Christmas time be praised for this. I say this on my knees, Jacob Marley. On my knees. 
all right. If you've never seen those, watch them. Because if you never, again, I am not the man I was. What is he talking about? Well, truth had come into his life, the light of truth, and allowed him to see who he was and what he'd been, right? And if Jesus is the lie of the world, he's the same truth that brings those things into our life that allows us to see who we were and the circumstances that show what he has done on our behalf, obviously, with who he is and what he came to do. And then the changed life that follows, which we'll see in the clip next week, right? Is, it, is, is, is anytime light comes into a person's life, it always changes them. If, if there's no change, then there's been no light in your life, right? Because those who have light in their life don't walk around like they're blind. They just don't. So you have this incredible, powerful picture. I wanted to show you one more illustration. I share with you the shepherds. I, share, I talked a little bit about myself. So you got Scrooge. I have one other one I want to share with you. And this is where we'll close today. But it's found in Acts chapter 26. And Paul is on trial, basically for being a Christian, right? And he is, he is before, first he was before Felix, and then he was before Festus, okay? Not the deputy of Matt Dillon, right, in Gunsmoke. If you've never heard of that, that's fine, all right? It's an old, all right? All right. But it, it, was a, it was a governor, a Roman governor, and he's standing before him. He really, he's on trial. And Festus has, has invited Agrippa, who was a, a king who allowed, one of the Caesars allowed to be a king of another part of an area. And Agrippa just happens to be in town. And so Agrippa looks at Paul during this trial and said, you may speak for yourself. So Paul takes the opportunity to share his personal testimony of how he became a believer. And you're going to find that it includes past, present, and future Everybody who has a testimony in this room, you have a past and then circumstances that brought you to Christ. That's the present. And then after that, it has changed your life. It's the same. If you want to know how to share a testimony for Christ, that's the three components, past, present, future. But Paul shares the same thing in Acts. If you've never seen this before, it's pretty neat. And he starts when he was a kid. In verse 4, it says, my manner of life from my youth, this is Paul talking, spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem is known by all the Jews, okay? They have known me, says here, for a long time, and they're, if they're willing to testify that according to the strictest party of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. So he tells everybody I was a Pharisee. Now that meant he was highly religious. You have no idea not how strict. I don't even think we have anything in our culture that comes close to the strict level that the Pharisees were. I mean, down to everything, uh, down to the Sabbath laws, down to what they ate and drank, down to, down to tithing of all that they possessed, down to what they wore as clothes, the way they cut their hair. I mean, again, reading the Bible, I guess three times, tw twice a day, praying three times a day, every day. It, I mean, their life was down to a science, a discipline. And they were, they were looked on as being extremely committed. And yet Jesus said of them, yeah, your outside looks good, but inside you're still dead. Well, Paul admitted, he's sharing about his past. He says, I want you to know that I was a, I was a Pharisee. And now I stand 
okay, here on trial because of my hope and the promise made to God, from God to our, to, uh, made by God to our fathers, to which the 12 tribes uh, hope to attain as, he, uh, as they earnestly worship night and day, and to this hope I am accused by the Jews, O king. And, uh, and why is it thought to be incredible that God can raise the dead? I would love to keep talking about this, but I get to get, got to get to this other. I myself, Paul said, was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I imprisoned. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they put to death, I cast my vote against them. Look at they. Can you go back? I'm sorry. I messed you up there. Go back to verse 10. You see they? So we're talking about many. So Paul was responsible for imprisoning and murder of people for no other reason than being believers in Christ. Guys, all of us have a past. All of us do. Sometimes it haunts us. I think it haunted Paul at times. But remember, that's what he came in the world to take care of. And I think Paul is just sharing with this court what's happened in his life. Interesting. And he goes on, I punished them and pursued them to foreign cities. And then he gets to the time, the circumstances that God used to change him. And here it is. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus, okay, with the authority and commission of the chief priests, okay? And at midday, O king, I was on the way, and a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. And take a look at what the voice returned uh, and, and, and what Paul said. To me, it's one of the great lines in the scriptures. Paul, a devoutly religious guy who went to church every Sunday, he tithed. He fasted once a week. He prayed all the time. He basically had read the Bible so much he'd had it memorized. He has to ask the question, who are you, Lord? I find that incredible, right? And of course, he said, I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. He says, and then Jesus says, but rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness to the things in which you've seen me, and to those in which you will, uh, will appear to you, delivering you from your own people and from the Gentiles. Look at this. To whom I am sending you to do what? Open their eyes. Guys, I'm here to tell you, as gut-level, genuine, and honest as I can be, the one thing I pray for you every time before I walk out here to share with you is God open their eyes and let them see. I don't care how good of a communicator somebody is. If you can't see it, it doesn't matter how well you, somebody up here communicates it. But I'm here to tell you, you can take a very average. In fact, you can, you can take a, a, a dull as dirt communicator. And if God opens your eyes, you'll say it's the best message, best thing you've ever heard in your life. Why? Because it's what he does in your life. Because if you want to know, he's going to let you know. 
And therefore, God told Paul, I've got a job for you. I'm going to send you to go and open the eyes of those who are Gentiles, like yours have been open, so that they may turn from what? Darkness to light. It's the same thing here, right? From the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified in faith in me. So, same thing, same every day. So as we close today, I just wanted you to see it. Is that when you look at someone and say, well, they're just real religious, in reality, I'm not asking you if you're religious. I'm not even really asking you if you're a member of a church. I'm not asking you any of those things. The question is, has there ever been a time in your life that you've had your eyes open, perhaps? Sometimes it's hard to explain it. It's not hard to explain if it's happened to you. But it's light that we respond to, that he puts in our lives. Therefore, if God doesn't work, then we're all lost, hopelessly lost, right? In darkness. Because what can you find in darkness? Nothing. Nothing. We're going to talk about the difference light makes next week and the change that happens in a person's life. But as I close, you may be here today and you may say, yeah, I, 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 I don't know. But I want to know that it's only a matter of time. Because remember this, God has promised to bring light into anyone's life that wants to know. He made you a promise. If you seek, you will find. The only way you can find is if he brings light into your life. Pretty amazing, huh? So the question is, do you want to know? That's the bigger question. But if you want to know today, there will obviously always be pastors up here afterwards love to talk about what it means. But if you are a believer today, then rejoice in the fact Okay, that your eyes have been opened and that you know him. There's no greater, if you will, gratefulness this time of the year than celebrating the fact that light has come into the world and has changed my life. All right? Good stuff. Good stuff.